name is Louis Menjivar. For those of you who may not know, I'm part of the teaching team here at Cornerstone. And I also get to serve as the lead for a ministry called Rendezvous, which is uh, for 20s and 30s. And um, I also get to oversee the youth ministry. So um, it's certainly a pleasure to be here with you and to get to share with you. Pastor Terry has been walking us through this idea of how to walk through our fears with faith, and we've been sitting with this theme of being fearless for some time now, and um, he's come to the end of his portion of, of sharing with us, and I, I felt like I just wanted to attach myself to the back end and, and offer just a small piece, and, and so we're going to do that, but before we jump into that, uh, I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll walk together through this. So, God, thank you, first of all, for the beautiful day you've provided for us. And I thank you, God, that you have brought us into your home on this Sunday uh, afternoon. And we've sung these songs that have welcomed you into your home, into your house, God. And we pray that uh, you would also be welcomed into our hearts. And to the best of our ability, we open up just our thoughts to you, our emotions to you, and we ask, uh, Spirit of God, for you to have access to us. And as best as we can, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, maybe even be inspired, motivated, that you would fuel us with something of your heart for our neighbors and for those around us. And as we discuss this idea of sharing your love with those around us, I pray that you would give us the courage uh, we may need when those opportunities arise. And so I pray for your blessing, your hand to be with us the remaining minutes here. And we just welcome you here. May you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, you know, you may have noticed on the front of the handout, the title we're naming this is, we're calling this when, we, when we're afraid to share our faith. And, and uh, you know, for me, I just wanted to be able to share this one idea around the uh, idea of being fearless. And it has to do with this, this simple thought that if we've ever experienced the grace of God in our lives, if we've ever felt the touch of God's presence in our own hearts and in our own minds, in our own souls, and we experience what it's like to be um, in touch with grace abounding and love redeeming, that we will be given opportunities inevitably to share our faith with those around us. And we will be asked to take the risk of stepping out and making ourselves known publicly or maybe stepping into somebody's conversation or somebody's life and sharing what Jesus means to us with them. And, you know, it is a risk. It is certainly not without risk. But if we choose to do so, the blessing of being able to be a part of what God may be wanting to say through us is just immeasurable. However, the choice in such opportunities as ours. No one will force us. God simply invites us, calls us, gives us open doors, and we decide if we will allow our fears to capture us or if we will press through. And I have to be honest with you. I'm not the most natural. I would, I would not call it a gift of mine or a talent of mine to be able to share my faith with those who, who are around me or who are in my life. In fact, I've oftentimes stumbled my way through nervously and uh, kind of fearfully. And maybe some of you may identify with what I mean when I say there, are, there have been times in my life where an opportunity has opened up or an open door is there. And instead of stepping into those chances, I have receded to the kind of the shadow and silenced myself and started praying fervently 
and I would be praying that this opportunity would pass by as fast as possible and that it would go quickly, go, go, no, I don't want it. And, and there have been those times when in my shyness, in my fear, in my insecurity, that has been my response. Or, or maybe, maybe you might identify with the, the reality that there have been other times when in my insecurity and anxiety and in my desire to not um, let this opportunity go by, I have overcompensated. And so I've been worried about exactly what to say and how to say it. And I want to make sure that I quote the exact verse in the Old King James Version. And I'm thinking about how to do this so that they don't, un- they don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. And instead, people of being compelled, they are repelled. And they end up running away. And I don't understand what just happened. Because oftentimes, for me, my struggle has necessary- not necessarily been the idea of sharing. Uh, that almost is part of the deal of signing up with God. But it's learning how to do so authentically. It's learning how to do so when, without fear silencing me and without fear propelling me into points that are not who I am. And, uh, I've had to grow through this and learn and become more, much more comfortable with this. And the best way I can describe it is my comfort in, in, in being able to share my faith is similar to my comfort with roller coasters. I was in eighth grade when uh, my friends and I, we had an eighth grade trip, and we went up to, um, out to Santa Clara, and we went to Great America. And we were in line for one of their newest roller coasters at the time. It was called Top Gun. And I remember, you know, I had gone to this theme park before with my family, but I had never really ridden a roller coaster before because... I was too short, but this time I was just at the right height, four feet tall, and I remember making it into the line and sitting there with my friends, and all my friends were really excited, and and I I was not, and they were really happy, and they were looking forward to this ride, and if you know anything about Top Gun, if you've heard about it, the, the, the idea behind it was, let's take passengers outside of a secure hub that holds them in, and there's their feet are on solid something, metal, and they hold you down, and they make sure that nothing will let you escape, and let's put them onto a chair where their feet are dangling. And I, I remember thinking to myself, that, that's not smart. And I, I also thought to myself, that's kind of dangerous. It's not wise. You know, you're just kind of hanging in midair and, and sitting in line. Something inside of me gripped me, and I just kind of silently thought of every possible nightmare that could happen on this ride. And I remember sweating and thinking. And I remember at one point looking to my right, and there was a body of water. And I thought to myself, if it releases, please, right over the water. (laughs) I I know how to swim. And I remember thinking, going into that line and walking through that whole thing, just imagining. And I, I know it's unrealistic, and I wish I was making it up. But I really did think of different ways to be able to hold on for dear life if it did open up. And we got to the ride. I remember sitting into it bringing it down and trying to press it tighter and not being able to and latching it on and then holding on really fearfully. And as we start going up the ramp, the clicking noise, the the ramp of torture, you you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) The clicking noise that tells you inevitable doom is coming. We're going up this thing as slow as can be, and I'm just holding on, and I'm viewing just how high we're getting. And when we get to the top, the most cruel joke I think ever invented in roller coasters, the latch that lets you think you're about to drop releases, and it makes a loud noise that you hear. And you expect to be dropped right when it goes click, click, but it doesn't. You just hang there for a second or two. And you could almost imagine the people in the, in the hub about to press a button laughing. 
and you pr- they press a button, and they release you, and it just drops straight down. And I could not breathe, and I couldn't see anything. My eyes were closed, and I just was going all the way down. I couldn't breathe, and the first breath of life that came through me was a screaming noise that sounded like a sixth-grade girl. And I remember through the whole ride, just holding on for dear life and repeating that cycle of breathing in and screaming like a little girl and going all the way. And then I remember just holding my eyes tightly. Tears were crawling out and saliva was going everywhere. And my eyes only opened because the wind forced them to. And I remember by the end, I got off and I was just shaking. And everyone else was just overjoyed with what they had just experienced. And I'm trembling and I let the thing release me and I get off of the ride and I look at this torture device and two thoughts hit me. One, I'm alive. (laughs) And two, that was awesome. (laughs) And I just fell in love with this thing. And we try to go in it as much as possible. And since eighth grade till all through high school, I remember me and my friends just loving to be able to go in whatever ride we could. And our extreme joy was when we had somebody who had not experienced the exhilarating thrill of a ride. And we got to introduce them to such an event. And so I remember going through all high school loving this and even being involved with, you know, teens and youth ministry now. I have opportunities to drive down south, you know, be able to hang out with them and experience awesome rides in all the theme parks we have in California. And about four or five years ago, I um, had the opportunity to share this experience with somebody I, I, I love dearly, who's close to my heart and close to my family, my, my mother-in-law. <laughs> my wife and I were engaged at the time, and we were making our way to Great America. And on the way to Great America, we thought, you know, it'd be fun for the three of us to hang out there. And on the way, we discovered that she had had a lifelong fear of roller coasters, and that she had never been on one. And I thought to myself, this cannot stand. She must experience the joy, the excitement, the thrill of the roller coaster. And then a second thought hit me. Louis, is this a good idea? You're not married yet. (laughs) And um, we decided to bring it up and broach the topic, and she uh, initially resists, and then we get to the parking lot, and something happened. I'm not sure what clicked, but she said something that made me more fearful than when I was in eighth grade. She said to me, Louis, because I trust you, I will go on this ride with you. And I thought, oh, no. And we make our way, and now I'm trembling once again, and we're getting into the line, and I'm thinking about this, and now I'm praying hard and I'm wondering how this is going to go. And we get to, we decide that the best place for her to experience a roller coaster for the first time being Top Gun would be in the very front row. And, and so we tried to get to the front row, but it was too long. So we went to the row right behind it. And um, we went, and my wife was sitting to her left. She was sitting in the middle. I was sitting to the right. And we latch on. She had taken her glasses off and put them away in her sandals. And she's sitting there. And, and I'm praying fervently. And I'm praying, God, please. Make this the safest, the smoothest, the most non-roller coaster roller coaster ride ever. May it be just nice, easy sailing. And she straps on and we get everything on, and then she assumes a position. 
as we make our way up the ramp of torture and then the last unfair latch unclicks and she expects the inevitable fall and she tenses up and I'm looking at her and then a second or two later we drop and I don't hear anything for the first drop. But once we hit that bottom bend and we start going up, I start hearing such shrieking, such yelling I had not experienced before. And, and then I look over to see how she's doing. I don't see anything except her hair everywhere and just everything going on. And you could just imagine, I mean, she, she, I just heard it, but she was just like. And the whole way, I felt the pain. And I'm even more terrified. And then we had the point where we take a picture. And so I smiled. And then we kept going. And we got to the very end. And when we got off the end, I was terrified. I get off. And I'm thinking to myself, am I going to be a part of your family still? And I let her off the, the, the coaster. And she gets her glasses on. And I say, how did how, it go? And she looks at me. And she says, well. She's wiping the tears off and putting her hair back. And that, that, that was not what I expected. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I did it, but never again. <laughs> and we tried to buy the video, and she didn't let us. And she said no. And she caught us trying to get the picture, and so we couldn't get that either. But I share that story because if I love roller coasters now, I didn't always. There was a day when I was extremely afraid of them. But once I did love them, it was the most natural thing to share this love of mine with those around me. And maybe some of us might identify with this idea that we have hobbies. We have things that we enjoy thoroughly. They're kind of an extension of who we are, a personality perhaps. And so some of us enjoy sports. Some of us enjoy certain different types of music or art. And we long, we love to share this stuff around us. And can you hear me? If, if I'm able to share a, the thrill ride of a roller coaster, something maybe seemingly so trivial, how much more powerful is it if we decide to share the greatest gift ever given to mankind? How much more powerful is it if we're able to tell somebody that we're able to draw from the deepest well of mercy ever known, that there is a grace available able to pull us from the darkest of pits and walk with us through the darkest of alleys? How much more powerful is it if we get to share the love that is for us, not against us, that heals, does not condemn how much more powerful is it if we step into that invitation, that risk, that opportunity? And this is where the analogy breaks down. Because if we walk with God more than a short season, we begin to recognize that life with God is not a continual thrill ride. There are points when, yes, there are extremely joyful moments in our lives. And then there are points where we feel like we're in unending valley with horizons everywhere. Or perhaps we experience pain so powerful we did not know we could experience before. And if we find ourselves there, and that is what consumes us, and that is what is on our mind, can you hear me when I say we, right now, walking through that, may have the opportunity to experience that there, God's grace is sufficient. And that there, his love sustains. And it is deeper than we could ever imagine. It is there we discover we can never make God sound better than he already is. 
And yet we might be in circles where sharing about him, sharing our faith about him might close us off from certain settings. People might now look at us a certain way. Opportunities may not be available to us. A risk, yes, absolutely, it is risky. And some of us have heard our friends or people around us speak of Christians in the farthest thing from being flattering. It is the most bitter of expressions. It is the most negative of labels in their minds. And we would rather not step into that. Or some of us know if we were to share, make ourselves publicly known that who we are and who we identify with is simultaneously painting a huge target on us. And now, microscopically, they will pick us apart in every single way possible. Our weaknesses, our inconsistencies, our imperfections are, will be on full display. And one could think in such circumstances, the temptation would be to say, is it? Is it worth it? And if we've ever ventured, we would soon discover that reality is moving into these moments is also engaging in the raging, surging, turbulent waters of people's past pains, predispositions, presuppositions that make them think, you know what, this is just like that last time when somebody did said something in the name of Christ that did not heal. It hurt. It injured. And we find ourselves there not knowing that's what we were going to encounter. And if that is the truth, if it is challenging, if it is hard, if it is risky, absolutely it is. The option is never silence. The option is to learn how to walk through it. And what I love about the scriptures is that although our challenges may be new to us and our points of loneliness may be hard with us and uh, we may find ourselves in a place we have not been before. It is not new to human history. It is not new to those who have sought to follow Jesus before us, and it is certainly not new to God. And we're going to take a look at a passage. If you open up your handout, there's a man named Paul who's known for his boldness, not his timidity, who's known for his passionate desire to share his faith, not his uh, ability or desire to avoid it, and yet he finds himself at a bit of a crossroads fearful, afraid, the implications of sharing his faith, and God speaks to him. And I'm, my prayer is that the word God delivers to him may be something of a life-giving word to us. And so we'll jump into this together. In verse 1, we're told that Paul left Athens, and he, he went to this city called Corinth. And, and there he became acquainted with a fellow Jewish brother named Aquila. He was born in Pontus, and who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And here's why. They, they converged at the same time, did not know each other prior to Corinth. But once they arrived, there was a reason why Priscilla and Aquila arrived there. And we're told that they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all people of Jewish descent from Rome. That is the context. He scattered all who identify themselves as being Jewish. And they decided Corinth was their destination. Paul arrives there. They arrive there. We're told, verse 3, that Paul lived and worked with them. They decided to lodge together. Not just lodge together, but work together. Why? Because they had the same trade. They were tent makers, just as he was. And through his network, through his association, through his business, he made a connection. They decided to support each other, strengthen each other. And we're told that during the week, Paul worked. In verse 4, we're told that each Sabbath on the weekend... It found Paul at the synagogue where his brethren gathered, doing what? Trying to convince them, Jews and Greek alike, of who Jesus was. He, he was sharing his faith. 
He had his full-time occupation, and when he had a chance, he shared his faith. That's what he did. And then we're told in verse 5 that after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, that you get the sense that they brought enough resource for Paul not to have to work to sustain his ministry. And maybe some of us may understand this. Paul was able now to enter full-time ministry, devote himself. We're told here that Paul spent all his time now preaching the word. Everything he wanted to do was about sharing his faith. His occupation was an avenue to share his faith. And when there was enough resource to sustain his ability to devote himself fully to sharing his faith, that's what he did. And we're told that he testified. That just simply means he gave his account, his account, his experience to those of his heritage, his brethren, his Jewish brothers and sisters, that Jesus was the Messiah. You just hear him continually seeking to compel people to share who Jesus is. And maybe verse 6 makes a lot more sense to you and I because it fits right in with what we might expect. Because initially they received him and initially they heard him out and they wanted to know more. But in verse 6 we're told that when they opposed him after having received him at first, they opposed him. They didn't just oppose him. They made it personal. They insulted him. And we know personal insults are the hardest to overcome. And Paul did something that Jesus had told his disciples to do. We're told that Paul shook the dust from his clothes. And that is something Jesus said. He said, listen, when he sent out the disciples, go to the towns. And if they don't receive you, that's okay. Just, just dust it off. Easier said than done. I know, but that is what Jesus said. Just dust it off. Just dust it off and move on. Go where you're received. And that is what Paul did. He dusted it off. But then we see a bit of his humanity, his broken heart, his pain-filled heart, his insulted heart. What does he do? He gives them a bit of himself and he says, your blood is upon your own heads. I'm innocent. <laughs> you could hear the heartbreak. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. And this next verse tells us a little bit about who Paul is. He says, you know what? I'm no longer going to talk with you guys. You don't, you don't, you're not open? Fine. I'm going. And where does he go? He says in verse 7, Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justice, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. I'm going next door. <laughs> and you're not going to see me here anymore, except in the morning when I walk by, and, and at night when I walk by, and all these people walking through and by your corridors, and you're going to be hearing about what I'm talking about because I'm relentlessly trying to share my faith. Something happens. The leader who had just maybe opposed and insulted Paul, when Paul left over some time, we're told in verse 8 that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, something miraculous happened. The seeds he had planted somehow sprouted, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Wow. And many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized, publicly said, I want more, I am his. I want more of him. And something of a wave starts occurring, success. And we might expect Paul is feeling overjoyed at this, but he's not. Surprisingly, in verse 9, we're told that he is deeply afraid. How do we know this? We're told in verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Meaning, he was afraid. And then he, he speaks more and he says, speak out, 
Don't be silent. He says, listen, verse 10, I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. And you can almost hear this, that the parentheses is, no one will attack and harm you. This time. This time, don't worry, not this time. And why would that be the case? Because Paul was used to how things happened. See, Paul would go to a town or a city, go into the synagogue, share about Jesus. People would be interested initially. Then they would understand, oh, I don't know, I feel uncomfortable, oppose, maybe insult. He would say, fine, I'm going elsewhere where I'm received. He would go where he was received. The people who had not heard about a God who loves, a God who forgives, a God who is merciful, responded, decided they wanted more. Something of a wave would happen in the city. There would be apparent success. And then the power brokers of the city or town would feel threatened. They would investigate. Who's the one responsible? They would find out it was Paul, and they would attack. I asked them to just put a brief summary of what that would look like, and we're told in just different passages all through the book of Acts. We're told Acts 13, 50, he's expelled from Antioch, literally told, leave now, otherwise your life is in danger. Chapter 14, 2 and 5, we're told that he, there was an attempted stoning on him. Such persecution is the risk he was taking each time he spoke about his faith. 14, 19, we're told that he was actually stoned. And not just that, they thought he was dead at Derby. 16, 22, beaten with rods at Philippi, which, by the way, is the place where he was incarcerated, put down in a dungeon, and sung songs and hymns to God, and something of a miracle happened. 17.5, we're told that he's pursued out of Thessalonica. See, Paul was used to the risk. He understood well what the risk of sharing his faith was. And if there was a risk today, certainly there was a risk back then. And you could sense Paul in his bed thinking about the implications, what's about to happen. And maybe for the first time he's thinking something that you would not characterize with Paul. Maybe I should back off. Be quiet. Be silent. And God steps in and says, nope, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Silence is not an option. Speak out. Why? Because, listen, no one will attack and harm you, but also many people in this city belong to me. And we're told in verse 11, this word had power. So Paul stayed there for the next year and six months. And not only that, you know what? Years later, this word would probably affect him deeper than we know. Why? He tells the Romans, he says this in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed, which was tested that night, of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God that works, saving everyone who believes. He was able to do that because he responded to the invitation of taking the risk. He did. God was faithful. And what a powerful word it may be for us. A couple thoughts. We have contexts. We have circles of friends and relationships, careers, jobs, fields, where we interact with people every day. How can we walk into this together? Firstly, when we fear sharing our faith, let's remember this is extremely important. Perfection is not a prerequisite. It is not a prerequisite. Uh, I, I just, so many times we may disqualify ourselves. You know why? Because no one knows our weaknesses more than us. No one knows our fears more than us. And yet, Paul writes to the Corinthians later, and he wants to remind them in what condition he was in. 
And he writes them this. He says, listen, I, I determined, remember? Remember, I determined, I didn't know anything except Jesus and him crucified. And what? I was with you in what? In weakness when I shared. In fear when I shared. And in trembling. And if we continue to read that, what is he saying? In my weakness, fear, and trembling, what happened? My speech and my preaching, they weren't persuasive. I didn't have human wisdom. But what I did have is in that weakness, in that fear, in that trembling, I had something of God through authentically sharing. Because when we're more real, he is so powerful. When in our weakness, what? He is strong. The reality is we will never be perfect enough to share, but he is always perfect enough to share with others. We will never be strong enough, but he is always strong, even when we may not feel it. Perfection is not a prerequisite. And so many times our ability to be authentically real in our faith gives God the great opportunity of showing himself through our conversations. And secondly, I would say that not only is perfection not a prerequisite, we, we could learn from Paul's ability to exercise flexibility. Paul exercised flexibility in a very interesting way. He would go and when there was discussion and there was an open door, he would continue. And there was opposition. Yes, his feelings were hurt. He was human. But he would respect it. And he would go elsewhere. And here's what he didn't do that I think so many times, at least myself, find myself wanting to do. Is there as opposition, there's a kind of a no, and then we just stop. And flexibility is saying, you know what? Okay, that's fine. And maybe some of us have people in our lives that we want desperately to know the depth of God's love, and they are not open, seemingly, on the surface. And ironically, maybe when we give space and we go to someone else that may be open, something may happen. God may erupt something through the seed that's been planted. And, you know, we, we live in an age now. We don't have to be confrontational. We, we have such a variety of channels through which we can communicate and associate and, and connect with other people across space and time. And we're able to be, connect in different ways other unique to our point in, in history. Some of us, if we put a video up, a picture, a verse, a quote, a lyric, people we might be disappointed in not liking it, other people we might be surprised in saying, huh, I didn't, I, I really, I didn't know. Can you tell me more? And in our flexibility, who knows what unintended conversations may erupt and what God may do. And lastly, I would say that not only is the Lord wanting us to exercise this idea of continually sharing him, but there are always, it's almost like a constant reminder, there are always people who will be open to the good news of Jesus. I just wonder, how many of us, how many of us were affected by someone who decided to take a risk on us? How many of us, when we were maybe in the farthest place, in the broken place, someone decided to step in and step through their fear and share? How many of us were invited to his house? How many of us were a result of people? Who are those people that touched us uniquely? I just wonder, 
Who are the people waiting for us to take the risk on them? Who are the people that we might expect are closed off and actually God is doing something and he's providing us opportunity after opportunity to share who he is and all that he is with them. May we take the risk. May we share of the unending love. That is Jesus. And may we get to participate in what God is doing among us. See, if God had people who were open to him in Corinth, certainly he has people who are open to him right here in the city we love, in our midst. He invites us to be a part of sharing his love and his faith. I pray we do it. We do it fearlessly. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that um, you were able to use people, even in my own life, who took a risk and obeyed your prodding. And I thank you for the many people you have used in our lives, God, that you, you use their words to communicate your love and grace in pursuit of us. And I thank you for the risk takers that you have put all around us. I pray that you make us risk takers as well. And you give us the courage, the motivation, the inspiration, that you remind us of the infinite reward of being able to share of your name and your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace with those around us. I pray that you would help us step into these moments authentically, humbly, dependent on your spirit and your power I pray, God, for your blessing. And so I just ask that you would sit with us, maybe underline, highlight as we kind of receive our time of giving and share in this closing song. I pray that you would um, impress on us what you want us to receive. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.